my heart. And, and the connection with Jesus obviously was, was uh, something that got me through that time and seeking his face got me through that time. But then God said, it's not good for Kev to not have a brother. And so he sent me to Durango where I met my brother from another mother. Uh, hang on, man. <laughs> and we've, we've, been, we've been best buds for going on over seven years now. And God has just done amazing things in my life and amazing things in his life. And uh, he has a word for you guys this morning. And uh, would you not only just give it up, but give it up for the man that he's become to me and thank him for being the friend that I need, but give it up for Ben Wilcox, our community life coordinator. <laughs> love you, buddy. He, he, he knows I love that stuff. <laughs> uh, thank you. Well, anybody who knows me for, a, it takes about 30 seconds uh, to realize that I'm very stubborn and hard-headed, and, yeah, and that um, I typically have to learn things the hard way. If you see this picture here, it took me about six weeks after moving here in May to realize that I lived across the street from my favorite Jesus story, a sculpture of it anyway, right over at St. Andrew Catholic Community. I live right across the street, pull out of my driveway every morning, go right by the place, which is significant for our story here in a second. Does anybody know what story this is depicting? Is what? Use your words. Yeah, Jesus and the Samaritan woman, Jesus and the woman at the well, or Jesus and the woman at the well. Does anybody know where to find it in the Bible? John 4? Nice. Did you go to school for that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, John chapter 4, if you want to start turning there in your Bible or your Bible app on your phone, that's fine. If you're using the Bibles that we provide in the chair right in front of you, it's on page 752, or you can just listen because I'm going to read it. But here's the deal. This is my favorite story in the Bible. It's my favorite story about Jesus. I feel like it encapsulates a lot about my life, who God has created me to be, and how Jesus wants me to behave. And as you'll see in the story, I've, I've been, it's mostly centered around these two, two people, Jesus and this unnamed woman, which is, I think is significant in and of itself, why we don't know her name. I'm going to offer a few opinions about why that might be. But I feel like I've been in both places symbolically. I've been the, I've been the helper, and I've been the helped. And the other reason is that, like any story from the Bible, this story is not over. This story is still being written. It's still being lived out. There was this craze a number of years ago, you might have seen it, where everybody was wearing bracelets that had WWJD on it, which stands for? Right, not a bad question, right? But not the best question, because we don't have to ask what Jesus would do, because Jesus is alive, we should be saying, and asking, what is Jesus doing? And join him in that. What is Jesus saying? What is he saying to me? Is, is his spirit coming alive in me so that I can speak the same life-giving words that Jesus speaks? So the story of Jesus is still speaking to us today. 
And around here we learned about emotionally healthy spirituality, which is a mouthful, it's not that hard. Well, it's simple, it's kind of hard. And we also learn a lot about servant leadership. That is the leadership that I believe that we are called to based on the life of Jesus. So you can think about, you know, we don't, we don't have a lot of wells around here anymore, really. Most of us get our water from either Albertsons or the water store. So if you're coming into town, if you don't live here and coming into town, and you went past Veterans, there's a little place in a strip mall called the water store. Guess what they sell there? And so imagine, though, for a second, if it helps you picture the story that you're about to hear, imagine if the water store were the only place in town to get water. So Albertsons wasn't there. There's no other source of that. And just picture that for a second, okay? And like I said, the story's about me and about my experience with God. So let's jump right in and start reading in verse 1, John chapter 4. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is baptizing and making more disciples than John. Although Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea to return to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sukkar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. That's what's depicted. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. So, does anybody know any Samaritans? Yeah, I don't either. So let's explain a little bit about what this is about. So this is somebody from one culture, religion, an ethnic group, talking to a person from another culture, religion, an ethnic group, that he shouldn't be. And he's actually in a village, in a land that he shouldn't be, according to Jewish custom and law and tradition. It was considered dirty to even be there regardless of the gender thing going on, which is a man talking to a woman, especially alone, in public, when they are not in relation, okay? So if it helps you to think about that, you can think about the United States in about 1836, and a white cowboy going up to a Native American woman who's filling up waters, water vessels at a pond or some other water source and going, give me a drink. You can think about me rolling up to the water store in my super cool 2013 Chevy Cruze. It's four-door. All four cylinders. And I have my camping chair that I always have in the back of my car for just these kind of scenarios. And I have my water cup. And there's a woman in a burka filling up water containers for her family, and I pull up my chair, hopefully it doesn't give out, and I say, how about a drink? Anybody driving by, anybody seeing that image would go, what the heck? Why are you talking to her? You know you're not supposed to talk to her, you know she's not supposed to be talking to you, she's not supposed to be talking to anybody. And why are you asking her for something?
Why am I a white man? A white Christian man? Asking her for a drink. But back to the scene in the scripture. So she, this woman from another culture, despised race of people, speaks right back and says, Jesus says, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy food. And the woman was surprised, to put it mildly, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she says to Jesus, you are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replies, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Imagining this added to her surprise. So with all these cultural and all these other differences and all these divides, how was Jesus able to make a connection with this woman? Good question. We're going to answer that in a second, but first the rest of the story or most of it. And she says, Sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. This is a very deep well. Where would you get this living water? And besides, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his cattle enjoyed? Jesus replied, people soon become thirsty after drinking this water, but the water I give them takes away all thirst. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. And please, sir, the woman said, give me some of that water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to haul water. And Jesus told her, go and get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship. Jesus replied, Believe me, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father here or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know so little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming and is indeed already here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for anyone who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman says, I know the Messiah will come, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. So with all of this going on, how was Jesus able to make a connection with this person? Well, number one, he goes out of his way to meet her. Jews did not go through Samaria. They went around, literally. Jesus didn't. He goes out of his way to have a conversation with her. He initiates it in kind of a startling, maybe surprising way. But nevertheless, he initiates a conversation. Notice also he listens and allows her to speak. He shows respect. Despite the cultural divide, laying down his privilege as a man, as a Jewish man, he shows respect. He sparks her spiritual interest by casting a compelling vision 
I will give you living water. This will be a well within you. If I'd never heard that before, I'd be interested. So what was all this doing? He was entering her world. He didn't try to drag her into his. He went into her village and her town in a land that he wasn't supposed to be and met her where she was, literally and figuratively. We talk about that a lot. Meet people where they are. It's okay now to be okay, all these things. This is the example right here. He did not try to control or pressure her. He simply made her aware of a resource. He encouraged her to go as far as she was willing to go on her journey, and he didn't judge her journey. He just stated facts. There's a big difference between judgments and facts. I hope you know what that is. He didn't judge her spiritual journey. That's one of our hallmark hallmark characteristics of an emotionally healthy spirit. Uh, emotional health and spiritual maturity. We don't say you should be further along. You've been coming to church for 25 years. Why are you still a jerk? We're not, we don't do that. We do that, <laughs> but we're not supposed to do it. Okay? So I've mentioned offering resources. Meeting somebody where they're at, not judging them. What does that sound like to you? All you people should know. Starts with A, ends in, yes, advocacy. Where do we get that word? It comes from an older word meaning to call. He called. Jesus called. He let his spirit, his state, his expression, his warmth call to her. He didn't command, although he could have. His presence spoke to her. He let the picture he was painting with his words cast a compelling vision of something she had no clue about. He accepted where she was. He didn't express disappointment in her choices. Here's a little newsflash. If you've heard, if you heard that part about you're right, you don't have a husband, you've been married five times, you want to know something? Nobody plans on getting married five times. There was a system in place, I think it's actually still going, where if a childless woman uh, has a husband who died, then that man's brother is obligated to marry her. So we don't know why she's had five husbands. We don't know her story. Be easy to judge it, but we shouldn't. And neither did Jesus. And my confession to you is, one of them, is I used to read this story and feel pretty good about myself. Because I've been divorced once, but I would read this and go, well, at least I've been divorced five times. <laughs> and we're going to hear in a second why you shouldn't start any sentence with the words, at least. But don't let yourself off the hook either. Because you may have been only married once, and still in that marriage, great. But how many diets have you tried? How many jobs have you been through? How many churches? That's the beautiful, hard, but beautiful thing about Jesus' stories. Nobody's off the hook. You can find, if you look hard enough, you will find yourself in Jesus' stories, if you're honest. But what does this tell us? What is he saying to her? 
the systems of this world will let you down. And we see it all the time. Systems that were there to help or take care of people end up being the very thing that trapped them and keep them from moving forward. He communicated simply in a way she could understand. In verse 21, she tries to bring up the old argument, right, that Jews and Samaritans have been having about where to worship and why. There's a whole backstory to it. The point is, he doesn't answer her question, which he does a lot. But in this case, I feel like it's significant for us in our time. Because how many old, tired arguments do we keep going instead of looking for God and ways to love people? Here's something else to write down if you're taking notes. We do not draw people to Christ by yelling at them. Nowhere in here do we say or read, he sternly addressed her. He raised his voice. When I was in the military, we would deploy overseas and, and visit other countries where English was not the first language. And we always had at least one guy who thought, oh, you don't speak the language? I'll just talk more loudly. Yeah, where's the bathroom? Where's the ba Like, that's not, they don't speak English. Find a different way to communicate. We don't draw people to Christ by yelling at them or telling them how wrong they are and how right we are. Rather, we draw people to Christ by just showing them a light, a light of warmth, and then they want to know the source of it. So how was Jesus able to make this connection? These are emotionally healthy traits that I'm about to read that are universal. You don't have to speak the same earthly language to express these. These, these could be all nonverbal. Listen, emotional warmth. He listened attentively. He had two ears, one mouth, and used them in proportion. He didn't interrupt her. We don't read, Jesus was explaining something to her, and then she wasn't getting it, so he just went, honey, and mansplained. We, we don't read that. He offered encouragement and affirmation. He showed genuine interest. He displayed his faith in her, and he didn't demand her faith in him. Because I think Jesus is keenly aware of how he comes across, and he knows the impact that he has on people. He certainly did in this story. He managed his emotional states intelligently, and lastly, he employed empathy. We've been talking around empathy a little bit, but I want to show you this video and help us understand a little bit more. So what is empathy, and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions, where empathy is relevant, and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective-taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. 
recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, I'm down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, (laughs) it's bad, uh uh-huh. No, you want a sandwich? Um, Empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. At least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. (laughs) John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. People who are out of touch with how they come across and who lack emotional intelligence will be severely limited in their ability to influence people. So next time you're frustrated that somebody's not doing what you want them to do, or when, or how, take a look at that. How's your relationship with that, with that person? And that's why servant leadership and emotional intelligence and emotional health are not very popular topics. It's easier just to go, I'm in charge, you do it. But as my buddy Ryan brought up the other day, rules without relationships breed rebellion. And yeah, you may be right, but nobody likes you. A servant leader, on the other hand, employs and embodies empathy. A servant leader listens. A servant leader builds bridges that span cultural, religious, and gender divides. The other day I was visiting a friend at her work, and she wasn't born in this country, and she practices a faith that honestly I wasn't very familiar with before I met her. And uh, I don't know, she just seemed like she wasn't quite herself. And I said, it was just the two of us, And I said, um, it doesn't seem like you're quite yourself. Would you like to talk about it? And we enjoy a sarcastic rapport. I enjoy a sarcastic rapport with most people. And um, she said, oh, why? Are you going to listen to me, Pastor? And I knew what she was saying, 
But then in that moment, I also heard a lot of other things. And I had one of those moments, I don't know if you've ever had one, where it was probably a beat or two, but it seemed to last for 15 minutes. Because in, in that moment, what I heard was, will you? Knowing that this person isn't a Christian like you? Knowing that her accent is different? Can you listen to her and offer her care without using Christianity's language, recording Bible verses, or just telling her to pray harder? Will you make a connect? Will you seek connection and relationship? I needed that reminder. I need it every day. I'm convinced that Jesus in, in this story and so many others is the greatest and most skilled advocate I've ever seen. What is, how do I know that? I, was ha- I just happened to be in an advocacy training the other day. Here are the handouts from it. Engage in dialogue, it suggests. Let go of limitations, what you normally do or don't do. Let go of your agenda or what you think she should do. Let go of a menu of services. Don't try to just fill out your form, so to speak, or literally. Actually listen to the person. Relate as an equal. Engage in an exchange of knowledge, not a lecture. You know something, she knows something. So how does what each person know knows fit together? We have to become better at reaching out across those divides. And I never would have even met the friend that I brought up a second ago if I hadn't taken the advocacy training at that agency. So I'm grateful for that. But servant leaders see themselves that way. They see see themselves as advocates, not directors or even counselors. If it helps you think tour guide, not travel agent. Travel agents can tell you where to go. They have a computer in front of them. They've probably read all the brochures. They may have been to one or two of the places that they're saying is great. But you know that tour guide is probably from there and probably speaks the language. Can help you not look so stupid when you go to that country too. (laughs) Show you all the little hidden gems that you probably would have missed if you'd just gone after talking with a travel agent. We are to be tour guides. Advocates provide options. They let the plan belong to the person they're helping and help them see a bigger picture. Emotionally healthy servant leaders shift their paradigm to align with God's. Let's look at the rest of the story because the people who were with Jesus who should have gotten all this, of course didn't. They're called his disciples. So after Jesus tells her, I am the Messiah, in verse 27, then his disciples arrived, and they were astonished to find him talking to a woman. But none of them asked them what he was talking with her about. They just started freaking out. 
The woman left her water jar beside the well, went back to the village, and told everyone, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus to eat. And he says, no, I have food you don't know about. And they didn't get it again, so they said, well, who brought it to him? And then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. So these people that had been around Jesus were commissioned to go and make other disciples and spread the message inside church, we call that evangelism, are hung up on other things. They're distracted. Meanwhile, the despised woman from the despised race from marginalized gender goes back to her village and does their job and tells people about Jesus. And so I have to wonder, wouldn't it be ironic if the people we're worried about are actually doing our jobs better than we are? Look at verse 42. Here's a little bit of the epilogue. Then they said to the woman, the people from her village, now we believe because we've heard him ourselves. Not just because of what you told us. He is indeed the savior of the world. So again, marginalized woman, marginalized culture, brings about a work of God so that Jesus is rightly recognized as the savior of the world for the first time in this gospel. And maybe that's why it's my favorite. Because this is me. I've been her stuck in the systems of the world. And tried to do things on my own without help. But then I had an encounter with Jesus. And then another thing I have to wonder is, what if Jesus isn't more likely to be found on the margins of society? Our own communities. And then I wonder, well, why aren't we there? Well, the good news is, in a way, we are. Because by studying most healthy spirituality and servant leadership, we're out there a little bit. That's not happening in a lot of churches right now. Does it make us better? It's just not. And by choosing to approach the life of Christ and study his life in terms and principles of servant leadership and becoming emotionally healthy, we are a little different, and that's okay. And I'm excited about that. And maybe the reason we don't know this woman's name, besides seeing ourselves in the story like we already hinted at, is because the story's still being written, and maybe it's up to us to write the rest of it. Maybe it's up to us to see, like Jesus so easily does, opportunities instead of problems. And not see roadblocks, but breakthroughs. And that thing that we're so upset that's happening, maybe that's actually the very thing that will give us the greatest opportunity to show love in ways we never have before. But we have to become better equipped at reaching out across divides, at becoming bridge builders. We need to practice empathy, listening skills, and quit yelling.
because emotionally healthy servant leaders practice genuine love, not agenda-driven tolerance. So the choice before us is either are we going to come against a bunch of stuff or are we going to move towards? Servant leaders move towards. A servant leader encourages and develops other leaders. A servant leader cultivates trust. A servant leader acts with humility. Maybe the reason we don't know our name is to be, just to remind us to be more humble and not worry about people knowing our name or tagging ourselves in every post. Servant leaders worry more about the posture of their heart than the position on their name tag. The true measure of any healthy leader is not how many people are under your authority, it's how many people you serve and love. Hopefully that number's the same. But there are so many people in leadership positions who are unaware of how they affect people and they're not in charge of their emotions. They haven't done the things that emotionally healthy spirituality asks us to do. How does your past affect your present? They don't know how to enter the feelings and perspectives of others. They just bring sandwiches, which is okay. I like sandwiches. And people need to eat. But they're afraid to enter the feelings and perspectives of others. They mistake empathy for agreement. Or they just think they're right, and they don't need to hear from the other side. But we are called to do that. Proverbs 18:15. intelligent people are always open to new ideas. In fact, they go and look for them. So pursue emotional health. We have a class here that we teach several times a year. I have about seven copies of Emotional Healthy Spirituality that I want to give out for free. So just come see me after the service. Just have the book. Read it. The only requirement is that you actually read it, number one, and then pass it on to somebody else afterwards. But emotionally healthy and aware servant leaders do two things. Number one, they advocate. And number two, they love well. And they're willing to admit when they don't. Regardless of whatever else you wear, so to speak, wear love. I love this passage in the book of Colossians. Chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against each other. Forgive just as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Another translation just puts it like this. Wear love. It's your all-purpose garment. It's your little black dress. It's your business suit. It's your blazer. For me, it's my sweats. <laughs> Wear love. Don't leave your house without being fully clothed. We've all had that dream, right? And lastly, a servant leader sets people free. Because people can get used to anything. Anything. 
and the less you think about your oppression in whatever form it takes, whether it's addiction, abuse, poverty, or just plain old sin, the more your tolerance for it grows, the less you think about it. And after a while, to you, that's just normal. But to become free, you first have to become aware that you're a slave. A slave to fear, or religion, or another person. In Second Peter chapter 2, it just comes right out and says that you're a slave to whatever controls you. But liberation comes through love. It comes through servant leaders who work hard at emotional health in their spiritual maturity to be liberators. We practice all these things, not for ourselves, but for the people still trapped. And when they're ready, working their plan, not our plan, that they, we think they should work, we make it safe for them to come forward and receive the freedom again they might not even realize they've given up. Servant leaders show the people they're helping that they have nothing to lose but their chains. Please stand for closing prayer. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be together with our family and friends. We thank you for speaking to us and to me. Would you help us live these things out? May, this, may all these things become our new nature so we don't even realize we're doing it. Would you help us look for opportunities to love well? To love people in groups that we would normally just go around. Help us to give up our right to be right and seek relationship and connection. I can't do that on my own. I need your help. We ask all these things for your sake and in your name. Amen. So until next week, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. If God is for you, who can be against you? And if God is on your side, whom shall you fear? Instead, may you be like a tree, planted alongside rivers of living water, bearing your fruit each season without fail. Your leaf will never wither. And whatsoever you do, it shall prosper. God bless you. Have the best week ever.